Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is an absolute veteran in the world of film. I'm joined by the director, Nico Mastarakis, and I'm absolutely thrilled that he's joining me for today's episode. This guy is an absolute legend who's been writing and directing movies now for over 25 years. Some of his films include Blind Date, Zero Boys, which is my absolute favourite, In the Cold of the Night, and the new re-release from Arrow, The Wind, which is absolutely outstanding, and I haven't been paid to say this, I urge you all to go out and buy, because the transfer is incredible, the extras are amazing, and hey, it's Arrow, one of the best independent companies out there. But yes, on today's episode, I get the opportunity to talk all about the early influences, I get to talk to Nico about his most recent work, all about his music career, Honestly, it's one of my favourite interviews, so please stick around, that'll be coming up very, very shortly. But, in true typical Mark and Me fashion, let's touch base and talk about episode 81. Last week I was joined by Shane Told, the frontman from the absolute awesome band, Silverstein. I got to talk all about his own podcast, I got to talk about touring, and it's easily one of my most downloaded episodes. So considering everyone is stuck indoors right now, I appreciate you taking that time to listen to the podcast and checking it out. And thank you again for Shane for coming on the show and also taking the time to share it on his own social media channels. That's what helped the response to become so, so high. But anyway, let's talk more about today's episode. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Nico and I can't wait to share this. So I think the best thing to do is now to get straight to it. So here's my interview with me and Nico Mastarakis. So thank you for joining me today, Nico. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate the invitation, Mark. Thank you. What I wanted to do is take it right back to the very start and what were those early movies that you used to watch as a child that made you want to have such a strong interest in film? I had a strong interest in the visual element since I was a five-year-old child. I, I, was, I was looking at the marquee, which was usually a makeshift marquee of movie theatres in Athens, and my imagination was taking that marquee uh, to Hollywood Boulevard, even if I didn't know where Hollywood was. So I was fascinated by that visual element and my fascination uh, was expressed in stills photography to start with, then eight millimeter film, then 16 mil, then 35 and features. And can you remember some of those very early films that you saw that you know, kind of blew you away? Well, to be honest with you, the very first films that I saw were uh, kids' cartoons in a special movie theater in Athens where parents used to take their kids. The very first adult with a broad meaning of the word, not the the entertainment term adult um, movie that I watched. I watched half of the screen because I was climbing on a low stone wall of a friend's house facing the open-air theater in my neighborhood. Uh, I remember that I was mesmerized by Brigitte Bardot and the sex bombs of the Italian cinema, Sophia Loren, Gina Lollobrigida, and the like. And much later, I was acquainted to the horror genre when I skipped class with friends and I snuck into uh, a movie theater that had the matinee to watch the original Dracula starring Christopher Lee. Wow. 
And what was it like seeing that when you were such a young age and kind of sneaking in? It must have really scared you. Well, it scared me, but it was a kind of, uh, of, of scare with, with a touch of lust. I, I loved what I was watching, and I didn't know whether I loved it because I was scared or because I was one day going to make something close to that. The fact is that we, uh, we gathered with a group of friends from school and we formed a kind of unofficial club for horror movies, which means that every time there was a movie like this showing in a theater in Athens, we would again skip class and go rush in and enjoy it. When you saw that film, and obviously it gave you such an impact, I mean, what was it then that kind of triggered you to think, I want to make my own films? Was it at that point or much later on in life? It was later, I guess. Uh, the, the first contact with the horror genre and with movies was so overtaking and so overwhelming that there were no other thoughts like, oh, I want to make a movie like this. Uh, I started thinking that I wanted to be involved in the entertainment business. Uh, when I first went to uh, New York, uh, it was the inaugural flight of Olympic Airways, their first 707, um, which at the time was the uh, transatlantic plane. And um, um, I was a guest, I was a reporter, so I was a guest of Olympic Airways. And they hosted us at the New York Hilton well, I came in contact for the first time with American TV. I was so overwhelmed that I rented two more TV sets and I was watching all three American networks at the time, at the same time, over 12 hours a day. And when I came back to Athens, I was determined that television and later features was the job that I wanted and uh, pretty soon I would stop being a reporter and uh, dedicate myself to that ambition, which at the time looked almost like a dream, Mark. I mean, at the same time, though, you also were a massive um, audiophile fan, weren't you? You used to be a radio host for many years. I, my career started as a reporter. Yeah. Then I went to radio and I did several weekly shows uh, in the state control, the state control stations in Athens. Then I got involved in producing records. I was the one who discovered Vangelis Papathanasiou and a group called The Formings. And together we wrote their first big hits in, in Greece. And I produced those records. And then it was television in its very primitive stage. Uh, at the time that there was no video and there was only uh, film available, so also I had to shoot a half-hour show uh, all on 35mm film, process it, edit it, synchronize it, and run it through the projector so that 50 or 60 houses and apartments in Athens that had television sets could watch it. So talk to me a little bit more about being a radio host, because that really interests me. And I read, obviously, that you've got to meet and be friends with John Lennon, the Beatles. You even got to work with the Rolling Stones. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? I was fortunate enough, Mark, to live uh, at a day and age where 
personalities, celebrities, which is whatever you call them, to me, very important. And people uh, were accessible much more than they are today. Like, for instance, as a, as a young reporter, 18 years old, I could talk to Aristotle Onassis. Uh, try today uh, to have, have any reporter approach and talk to the big tycoons of our time, like Jeff Bezos, for instance. So I was also lucky in a way to be at the right time, at the right place. That's how I met the Beatles in Athens for the first time. And that's how I became, I, I dare to say, a, a friend, uh, both to, uh, to all the four Beatles, but particularly to, uh, to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Um, it was exactly the same well-orchestrated coincidence, uh, luck, and probably talent that brought me in touch and constant contact after that with a lot of Hollywood stars and singers. And I worked with legends uh, like Hugh Huey and Roger Daltrey in one of my movies. And uh, what can I say? I was lucky. That's that. And how was it getting to spend time with the Beatles? Because obviously they're before my time, but such an amazing band with so much respect. And it, 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 they were such amazing lads, you know. It wasn't just their music that was fascinating about, about them. It was, you know, I, as, as a very young guy, to hang out with the Beatles or to talk to them on a personal level, and especially with John being able to, to listen to his paranoid kind of thoughts. thoughts. Um, I was introduced to the Beatles by uh, a Greek guy who at the time was called Magic Alex in, in, uh, in the Apple circle. Um, Ma Magic Alex was the guy who promised the Beatles to create an artificial sun for them. <laughs> which of course he never delivered. But stemming from such kind of, kind of crazy ideas, it was absolutely amazing to be able to listen next to John for a whole night and hear his views on life, drugs, which I never did in my life, but I had to listen, listen and especially sex. Uh, which was, was one of the elements that John wanted to talk. Uh, the Beatles were strong personalities, and that translated to the music they wrote and performed. And I don't think that there will ever be another group like them, or even close to them, both in uh, human qualities and in musical qualities. So let's talk obviously about your film career. Now, one of the first films that I bought on Blu-ray from Arrow was Island of Death. Now, did you ever expect this film to become such a cult classic that it is today? But of course not. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I was, was hoping that I, I could make a movie uh, with so much violence and kinky uh, shit and stuff that would probably be able to outsell uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So my motivation was very realistic, pragmatic, and very humble. I wanted to make money. I never 
never thought uh, that what I was doing will be able to survive to survive so many decades and, and still have a following with a Blu-ray audience. Uh, to be honest with you, the first review for the film was printed on Screen International. When I read the review uh, on Screen International, I thought that the, the reviewer, the critic, had seen the wrong film because there was so much praise for Island of Death that I said, no, probably he, he saw the wrong film. He's not, he doesn't mean mine. <laughs> uh, that, that will probably describe to you how I felt about the movie. The other, the other thing that amazed me is that when we did the first screening, trade screening uh, at, at Cannes, uh, during the festival there is a market and we took a small a movie theater and screened the movie for the first time. Half the distributors that came to the screening left the theater halfway through the movie felt sick to their stomach. Those that felt sick and left the theater were the first ones who came to buy it for the territories. Yeah. And we just talked about the Blu-ray release. Now, Arrow are releasing The Wind um, this month. And again, it's going to give people that chance to revisit in a restored HD quality version of your your vision. How, how do you feel about these classics now being brought back for people? I think that uh, working with Arrow uh, Video for many years, uh, I learned, which I didn't bother uh, to, to search before, that there will always be an interest on behalf of younger audiences to rediscover uh, movies that they either watched for the first time at a very young age on VHS, or they've heard about them, but then never had a chance to watch them. Um, that's how we got in the process, uh, starting with Island of Death and then following Zero Boys and Hired to Kill. And now with another three movies, The Wind is the first of the three. And it'll be followed by Blood Tide and Bloodstone. Um, working with passion and love to restore uh, what had been a movie uh, on the shelf for about 40 years. It is not an easy process and it takes dedication and it also takes the proper audience to appreciate what we struggle to do over months and months of restoring negatives and restoring the original uh, audio in 5.1 uh, five and to gather even outtakes from all dailies buried in humatic tapes, uh, for instance, so that the audience can have as much as possible uh, in the bonus section of the Blu-ray. And Arrow are very good at that, and I'm also very good at keeping uh, old files, both visual and sound, and I can provide them with those bonus materials that usually make the difference in the Blu-ray's uh, sales and appreciation. And now you've been writing and directing for over 25 years. Why is it you still have that desire and that hunger for this? Because a lot of people would probably fade at this point and not want to do it anymore. But you sound, and with these releases, you, you come across like you still have the same hunger you had 25 years ago. Uh, it was more than 25 years, Mark. And I never felt, not for a moment, 
too blasé about what I do or what, what other people do. Um, movies have been my main entertainment in life. And when I watch a movie, I watch it as a member of the audience. So don't watch it as a, you know, professional, overcritical of everybody's work. Um, when I create, I create not because that's a means of life, of paying my bills, I mean, but because I have the passion. I thought that I'm, on the 20th of April, I'm going to be 79 years old. I thought very carefully of the next 10 years, if I'm lucky enough to survive that long. And I thought that my life would have no meaning if waking up on the morning, I didn't sit in front of my computer uh, trying to type a half a page of a concept that came to my mind uh, the night before, before I went to bed. Uh, or I didn't do something with my old movies, with the library, trying to communicate what I've been doing for so many years to people who have no idea uh, of who I am or with what are the films that I'll bring back to life. So a passion for movies, whether you're uh, a viewer, whether you watch, whether you create, is a very strong driving force. It doesn't fade out. It doesn't, uh, doesn't die. And I'm happy I was born with it. And like you just said about your age now, You've, you've directed, you've acted, you've filmed, you've produced, you, you've done everything. Is there anything left that you feel that you still want to achieve? I don't see this kind of work as a target of achievement. No. I mean, it's very noble. I know that people, 20-year-old um, directors, um, have one thing in their mind, to be on the red carpet of the Academy Awards and get an Academy Award. Strangely enough, I never had that ambition. I never thought of myself of being talented enough or capable enough to do that. Uh, I was always very realistic about everything that I do, do because I write, I produce, I direct, I mix uh, on the desk, uh, I, color, I, I, I color correct my movies, uh, I produce the soundtrack and everything else, and I edit. So I thought that my life in movies was like Chinese cuisine, which I love. You got a lot of small plates with different tastes and you're never bored with it. So by doing so many things in my life, I could never say I was excellent or perfect in one of those things. I was probably acceptably mediocre, but boy, did I have a blast by doing all these things, even when the outcome was a decent mediocre outcome. I love that. Uh, I love that you compare it to the uh, the food of different plates. I love it. And what advice, because we get a lot of filmmakers listening to the podcast, what advice do you give to those young people that want to pick up a camera and make their first film? Because it's not an easy world to get into right now. Well, technically it's much, much easier than my time because then we have to have three people carry uh, a blimped camera, for instance, like the one I used in, uh, in Island of Death. Uh, there was a big Ariflex in a huge blimp and we needed three people to carry it. Uh, aspiring directors today have an iPhone 
and they can shoot 4K, and they can also uh, use smaller cameras, 4K with great lenses, and therefore let their imagination guide them without the restrictions of can or cannot. So I know that a lot of people today make movies with their iPhone, with their smartphone. Uh, and I think that's good because the talent that they have can be expressed at no cost to no one, as opposed to the times that we had to run 35 millimeter film through the camera and every foot that we run through the camera cost us an arm and a leg uh, to buy, process, print, sync, transfer audio, etc. You understand me? Yes, so definitely. I would suggest that my new colleagues, the aspiring directors of today, should let their imagination go free, but never to forget that their duty is to tell a story regardless of the temptation of digital gimmicks, uh, fast editing, and all the other bells and whistles they have free in their disposition. They should concentrate, uh, think, and get inspired by a story. And when they feel capable of, capable of telling it to the audience, whether it's going to be a short film or a feature film, they should just sit down and write. If it's not in the script, it's not on the screen. You can never make a good movie out of a bad script. So they should appreciate the material first and then get inspired by it to create the visual images in their head. The great, great is a, is a cheap word to, uh, to label him, David Lean. When asked how he shoots the movies that he first thought of, he said it's a very simple thing. When I think of a movie, uh, I have the negative in my head, shot by shot. It's very simple. When I shoot the movie, all I have to do is match the negative in my head with the frame in the camera. And that's what it is. And my final question for you today, Nico, is... With such a big career, with so many different things that you've achieved, what is your biggest highlight looking back at everything that you've done? Uh, very difficult to start separating, splitting my life in, uh, in slices so I can assign highlights uh, to each one of them. But uh, talking seriously and outside the movie lingo, I think that my biggest, best highlight uh, in my life was my daughter and her kids and my granddaughter. That's amazing. And how old are they now? My daughter is 52. My grandson is 30. My granddaughter is 29. And my great-granddaughter is two years old. That's amazing. So you say full circle, Mark. It's full circle. Hopefully one day they'll be making films then and following your footsteps. I... I don't have anyone in my family that wanted to follow my career and uh, be in the, in the movie business. My grandson was initially charmed by the entertainment world and he attempted to work as, a, as an agent, as an assistant to an agent, um, but he very quickly got disillusioned 
and followed a different path. My granddaughter is, uh, is in love with horses as of the age of three. So she's had, she has spent all her life on the back of a horse. And she married a guy who has uh, horses as his business. So she has her passion and marriage and work all blending together. Amazing. Uh, I really want to thank you for your time today, Nico, and I'm really excited that we're going to get some more releases with Arrow coming up soon. Um, I'm really looking forward to buying The Wind, and obviously hearing that there's going to be another two at least is, is it's exciting. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Well, don't you dare buy The Wind. Uh, you will receive one from me uh, and a kind of autograph in your name, appreciating the time you spend on me. And also, uh, be on the lookout for Blood Tide, which is the first time it will be uh, with a 4K scan on Blu-ray. Um, James L. Jones, a wonderful guy, and all the other people in the cast guarantee that this made as a B-movie is not a good movie at all. Amazing. I really appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Ben. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Nico Masterakis. As I said at the start, what an absolute legend. Not many people can claim they've had 25 years directing and writing movies, but this guy has done it absolutely effortlessly. He's flawless in what he does, and I'm absolutely honoured that he took the time out to come and talk to me for the Mark and Me podcast. If you're listening, Nico, it means so, so much, and I really hope you can come back on the show because I'm sure you've got many, many stories that we can sit and talk about for hours and hours. Thanks again to everyone that's took the time to listen to this podcast. As I said earlier, he's now just released a brand new version of The Wind. The quality is incredible and Arrow Video are easily one of the best companies out there. They continuously produce amazing, absolute awesome Blu-rays with so many extras. You think right now I've been told to say this and I promise you I haven't. It's just that good. They're an amazing company so check them out on social media. Right, let's get to it as well. Markandme.com is up there. You know the score. There's my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram. I really do proudly claim that I reply to every single message that I get. I get loads of them via email and all the links are on markandme.com. If you liked today's episode, please let me know and I'll also share the feedback with Nico. I'm sure he'll absolutely love reading all the positive reviews and feedback to today's podcast. I've also got a Patreon. I don't take too much time to kind of shove this down your throat and show you, but it all makes a massive difference when I'm producing podcasts nearly every week right now. It costs to put these podcasts on hosting sites, to get them on Spotify, on iTunes, on all these different channels, and also the bandwidth where people actually keep taking to download. At the moment, I'm not getting to go out and do these interviews, but every penny that comes in from the Patreon goes exactly back into the podcast. I don't make any money off it, and I just actually give myself the time and then the actual expense to travel out there and do more and more episodes, which means more and more interviews for you guys to listen to. So if you can, actually reach into your pockets and help and donate up, I don't know, it's like 70p a month up to a tenner. It really does go an absolute huge long way. And I'm making sure that the prizes each month up for grabs for supporting me get better and better. We've had signed figures from huge celebrities that have been on the podcast, vinyls, DVDs, Blu-rays, T-shirts. A big huge thank you to Last Exit to Nowhere that have jumped on board and they're going to be sponsoring the show. So each month as well, we've got one or two t-shirts of those guys. It's all happening. So you can go on there. Like I said, on markandme.com, there's my link to my Patreon. I am going to be back in a week's time. 
even though it's tough times at the moment and we're going through this coronavirus thing, it does give me the ability to be at home and actually get a few more interviews done and people's availability is a lot stronger. So I'm trying to get as many done as I can to help you guys at home that may be struggling or just have time on your hands and want to listen to more and more content. I'll be back in a week's time with a brand new episode, but as always I want to say a huge thank you for all of you to take the time out to listen to this podcast, support what I do, and it really means the absolute world to me. So thank you, and I'll speak to you all in a week's time. Take care.